Hello again, and welcome to this 100th podcast. So, um, uh, I, I never quite thought about getting to 100 podcasts. So, um, uh, the first thing for me to do really is to just thank you for your support over the um, the last really two and a half years that I've been releasing the podcast mostly every week. Uh, I did have a, a bit of a slowdown at the end of 2023 because I was working on another project. And um, yeah, I, d- I really do appreciate uh, you spending the time to listen to me sharing my experiences, which is essentially what the podcast is. So my experiences with photography and with traveling, things that have helped me along the way, and also um, really tips for any of you who, who want to uh, take the kind of photographs that I do. And, and I always regard that side of it as what I share with you and what I teach. If you use one of my training courses, um, what I teach is a starting point. And from there, you can add your spin or spins on everything you do. And um, hopefully you'll be, be producing results that you like a lot better than mine. So that's the way I tend to view these things. So um, when I did start, it really started out, I guess, just to share that story with talking to somebody in Sydney. And we got just yakking about a few of the things I've done. And he said, well, why don't you share the stories? And I must admit, I have tried writing a book about certain adventures, let's say, but um, I've, I've always kind of petered out and other things have, have come along. And uh, the book's never got very far. So it was a lot easier for me just to sit down and start recording um, stories, chunks of stories, 20, 25 minutes long was the aim originally when I started this. And um, if you haven't listened to the earliest podcasts uh they're really about uh, things like when i rode around australia on my own on a motorbike that took me four and a half months um and i was i think that was six months after i got my motorcycle license so i kind of let from a 125 cc up to a 900 which was um a bit of a step up and actually literally because um it was been a much bigger bike and because i'm quite short (laughs) Um, yeah, that was kind of entertaining at certain points. When I'd stop at traffic light, traffic lights, I would always stop at the rut in the road caused by um, big trucks, if there was one, because that way I could get both my feet down comfortably and I wasn't straining my ankle, desperate for the uh, the lights to change to green again so I could get moving. Um, so that's really how it started. And I guess other adventures, if you haven't looked at the early ones and anything grabs your interest. So um I guess the headliner ones are going down to the wreck of the Titanic. I did that in 2001 in a Russian submarine. In I also went to Moscow in 1999 to fly a MiG-25. That was um, we got up to around 80,000 feet, twice the speed of sound. So that was an interesting experience. I also did fly um, light aircraft in the UK and the US. Um, I was getting my private license uh, private pilot's license and I've got a whole bunch of stories there as you might imagine so there is um a couple of podcasts about that and um yeah climbing Mount Kilimanjaro so they're probably the highlights just can't I've probably forgotten something but there you go um and I, I guess really to the the point of sharing all of this and one of the things that dawned on me probably later than I would have hoped so if you if you are um younger <laughs> Um, at this point, then maybe, um, say, in my 20s, I would have appreciated getting uh, the kind of inspiration that I got in my, my early 30s. And that was essentially about just saying yes to things, because I'd always been, uh, when, I, when I grew up, my, my 
the family wasn't particularly well off. Um, we lived in a council house that my father had rented since it was um, since it was built in the 1950s, so before I was born. And both he and my mother worked, and um, I basically le- basically left school at 16 because my father was quite a lot older than me, and um, I left school in uh, 1977 in the summer. I was 16. And my father retired in the, the January of um, 78 because he was then 65. And it was just a way of getting a bit more money coming into um, into, into the home. So I guess that's kind of where I started from. And as a result of that, um, I was always very practical about how I spent money. So if I couldn't see if something wasn't uh, going to deliver a useful return or something I was going to use every day then I would tend not to use it. And basically what I learned, I mean, I've always worked hard and, and developed my career and all of these things, but what I learned when I got to my 30s was just to say yes to things, to say yes to um, just offers that came up or opportunities that came up. So one of those was flying, which was something I'd wanted to do for a long time, but I could see no particular purpose to it um, other than just having fun uh, because my eyesight isn't perfect. So... Um, there were likely to be issues if I wanted to be a commercial pilot and uh, if or if I'd wanted to go into the Air Force. So um, there were all these limitations. So I think the message where I'm trying to get to with all of this that I hope is useful is if you are one of those people who tends to hold back a little bit, maybe think things through a lot um, and maybe say no to things that perhaps deep down you would like to say yes to, then my suggestion to you is simply to say yes and see what happens. Um, because if, if it is something that deep down does, you know, deep down, it might be that little child inside of you, the little child that wants adventures. And after all, this podcast is about um, travel and adventure photography. So if part of you wants to say yes, then just say yes. And um, I generally know when I've well, in fact, you, you will know when you've pushed the boundary because you'll get very frightened, <laughs> which I've certainly had on a number of occasions now. And uh, certainly there have been times when I've been out maybe in the bush somewhere, in Africa somewhere or whatever, and I'm wondering what on earth I was thinking to get out there. But having said all of that, I've always enjoyed the experience and looking back on it, those are the the sort of experiences that, in my opinion, make life worthwhile. So um, there you go. I've, I've got a bit philosophical, I suppose, which um, I hadn't intended to get when I started recording this so um anyway getting back to photography so the the idea of doing these podcasts was primarily to share um definitely photography tips so hopefully you've been able to apply uh things i've suggested and also to share i guess my passion for wildlife and one of the things that i got most inspired by and this kind of reached the peak when i was in zimbabwe um, actually with a, um, a guide called Dean McGregor, who was at um, the Nakavang- Nakavango Conservation Programme. Unfortunately, he's not there anymore because with COVID, uh, that whole area at Victoria Falls is is absolutely reliant on tourism. Of course, um, that was the end of tourism for two years when COVID hit. So as a result of that, a lot of people uh, lost their jobs. And unfortunately, Dean was one of them but Dean and and a lot this goes for a lot of the guides that I met as well but Dean 
just had the kind of personality that I um, enjoy being around. Uh, not everybody <laughs> enjoyed it, but I did. And um, his knowledge was just extraordinary, uh, in my opinion. He could. The biggest thing for me is looking at the ground and reading the story. And um, the what animals leave leave behind is called spore, and I've spoken about this before. But it's basically footprints, it's dung, it's broken vegetation, anything that is left behind after the passage of an animal is defined as spore. And it's like reading another language. Once you begin to understand it, you can look at an area and you can work out what's been going on over the last few hours, how many animals have been there, which particular animals have been there, which came first. So I remember uh, one occasion with Dean and um, some other, well, volunteers, but some of our friends, uh, we were all in the four-wheel drive. We, we had spotted... Um, some tracks. We'd found a pair of zebra tracks. So there was an adult zebra and a baby. And then over the top of them, so this is in sand, it's quite a sandy track there, there was uh, there were lion footprints. So obviously the story, and I talk a lot about storytelling with my photography, and I think storytelling is a very valuable way of interpreting what's going on. So I tend to refer to it a lot. But the story of what what was going on because these are fairly fresh tracks within the last hour um, of, of us being there uh, was that this at least one line was stalking the zebra and the, the young one. So we actually spent quite a while, um, probably about another hour, driving around because the tracks weren't continuous. They, they would go through vegetation, they, they would dis- disappear off into... Uh, the, the kind of bush parts of the reserve that we couldn't drive on, so we had to sort of loop round and try and pick them up again. But that, to me, was one of one of the most extraordinary aspects of of doing that volunteering. It's to be able to read what's going on and to track animals. And I've also we're going with Dean um, and and other people, obviously, is to um, we've tracked elephants, we've tracked rhino, and found them. And um, that, that's been an amazing experience to get close to those animals on foot. Uh, so before I move on, I will just say that we did finally encounter the lions. There were a group of um, female lions, uh, five I think there were, and um, luckily no zebra carcass. So um, whatever the zebras had done, they had managed to shake off the lions. So that was the, the good news, just in case you were wondering. So... Again, one of the motivations for me in doing this is to share that kind of knowledge because knowing how to track animals, although if you are arranging a trip, and I'm recording this in January 2024, so uh, you may well be thinking about what the year holds for you and what opportunities you can take advantage of or perhaps satisfy an ambition to go somewhere or see a particular animal, uh, whatever it might be for you. And so again, the idea is just simply to share the little bit of knowledge that I have that might just help you in preparation. And um, reading Spore is something that if you get the chance to just read about it, learn more about it, it will definitely be time well spent when you, when you get there. Now, if you've got a good guide, which I'd absolutely recommend, they'll be able to teach you a lot too. And I would just watch what Dean was looking at, but he was, it wasn't just animals with Dean though. He knew the trees and all the different types of plants there. And of course, you, um, 
with different plant life, you get different animals drawn there as well. So uh, the whole thing kind of comes together. Now, um, the other aspect of um, these podcasts is to talk about the photography side. So again, uh, some of the podcasts are just very practical. I'll talk about common mistakes that people uh, make um, with photography and also maybe a, a little bit on what gear to buy, but I'm not a big one on that. I'll do the, the thing I tend to talk about more is the difference between DSLR and mirrorless cameras, for example. Um, but again, it depends on where you're at, what gear you're using, what sort of investment you've made. So you may not be interested in doing a complete gear change, or you might just be starting out and you really have no idea what would be a good camera for you. So this is perhaps the latter is is where... Um, what I've spoken about in some of the podcasts is intended to help. Um, the big thing about um, gear, the key thing with all of that, though, uh, there's really two things that, that I'll tend to harp on about. And uh, the first one is to really get to know your camera. Now, a lot of people, when they get their first DSLR or mirrorless camera, they can look quite complicated because you because if you're not familiar with uh, cameras and you just want to be able to take really tight shots of wildlife, so you need uh, the kind of zoom lens um, capability or zoom lens options that those types of camera will give you, they can look very complicated. And um, the reason that they look complicated is that they are <laughs> in many cases uh, because a lot of the newer cameras have um, lots of pages of menus and all this sort of thing. And that's just um, overwhelming. So that's the bad news. The good news is that most of that stuff you don't really need to worry about. Um, the key thing is to get back to basics on how a camera works. And that's where you get to the exposure triangle. And what all that is is the relationship between shutter speed, aperture, which is how much light is, is coming in, so that would be the F number, and ISO, or the sensitivity of the um, um, the sensor in the camera. And once you understand that relationship, you open up the full creative potential of your gear. And once you start practicing and getting used to it, you'll be able to look at a photograph that somebody else has taken and you'll have a fair idea of the kind of settings that they've used to get that result, which, of course, means that you can then get that same result yourself. So if you don't understand the exposure triangle, do please learn it because it's um, it really is the difference between taking snapshots, which is what you're going to do in auto. You'll get lucky. You know, you're going to get some some setups where an animal will get in the right spot for you or you'll, you'll get lined up correctly or you'll be fast enough to get a shot. But they're, they're very limited in what they can do. They're going to look pretty much the same. And you can't really add your own spin on them. Um, and what I mean by that is, is things like depth of field, it's it's lighting, it's mood on the image. Now, some of this is also, also relates to what you do in post-processing. And these days with digital photography, post-processing is almost as important as taking the image in the first place. Uh, so that might be a little bit of a controversial statement to make, but it is something I believe. But the first thing to do um, with your camera is to make sure you understand how to get the most from it. So do spend some time learning 
how the exposure triangle works, that relationship between aperture shutter speed and sensitivity. Uh, There's stuff on YouTube. I run a training course as well, which will tell you all of that and give you practical exercises that you can use because the next thing is to start taking photographs and experiment with those settings so that you really start to instinctively understand what's going to happen when you change your um, aperture one way or another. You'll know what the impact is on shutter speed, on um, the exposure, all those kind of things. So if if you don't understand your camera that well, I, I absolutely recommend that you do invest the time possibly money, but things are available for free and that might be enough for you. But really understand that. And then the second thing to do with the camera itself is to just photograph, take photographs of things as much as possible. And and, um, you might be lucky enough to have wildlife around. So we had squirrels around. I mean, I'm lucky. I live in the country in um, southwest France. So um, we've just had squirrels around in the autumn collecting nuts um we get i get deer at the end of the garden grazing there's not so much this time of year but we do get deer i had hares coming into the garden i even found some bats i was um closing the shutters on my front door to go away for a few days and uh, i hadn't realized two bats were having a, a sleep up there so um i disturbed one of them and then the other one flew off um when i'd moved the car out of the gates to to, to close everything up uh, I also, um, the, I've got a small shed at the back where I usually keep my wheelbarrow and I realised um, a little field mouse was trying to um, raise a family there. So I'm quite happy for them to be there. Uh, so I'm lucky that there's a, a, there are animals around if I apply myself. But the one type of animal that will be everywhere is birds. So if you don't have access to the countryside, you don't have access to animals, I mean, it could be your pet, um, if you if you have a pet, you can try portraits, you can go for a walk. If you have a friend or a partner who can play with a dog or whatever you've got, uh, you can do longer shots and try different angles, get down low, get, get up high, all these different kinds of things. It gives you a, a subject you can experiment with. And all of this builds familiarity with your camera equipment and, of course, how to start anticipating what an animal is going to do if there's a particular shot you have in mind so if you are in that situation where you have an animal a pet just have a look at what other people have shot and also have a look at wildlife photographs that you really like and think about how they were set up uh, what has the photographer done what kind of shutter speed were they using uh, all these kinds of things just to asking those questions and that the more of those questions you can answer the easier it is for you to start producing the the kind of results that you'll you'll really be proud of when you come back from a trip. Coming back to birds, uh, so th- there are birds all over the place. So you shouldn't hopefully have any difficulty finding birds to take photographs of, and they can be quite difficult. And try, certainly trying to photograph birds in flight will start to highlight where your weaknesses are when it comes to photographing wildlife. So uh, the key thing there is getting the camera to focus on the right thing. Uh, and that is the bird, especially if if you the bird is flying uh, with a, a fairly strong background behind it, which could be some distance away. So that would result in the camera just changing focus, not being clear on what to focus on. So if you can nail your focusing and really understand the um, autofocus system on your equipment, and how to use it and get good results most of the time, then that is also time well spent. So when you do go away and um, 
often with a lot of these trips, uh, they're, they're places that you won't go back to. They're a place that I've been to. I'd love to go back, but the reality is that I probably won't. So uh, when I am there, I always really take as many photos as I can. I, I take as full and as van- an advantage as I can of, of where I am uh, because those opportunities may not come back. So, um, and the way to make the most of those is to be well prepared. Having said all of that, I do mess things up. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I'm human. Um, I forget things. I'm, sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I've been at a place for several days. There's a lot of getting up really early, um, being cold, <laughs> not being able to sleep terribly well. All the other things that happen uh, when you're on a, a trip away. And of course, the result of that is that you might not be quite on 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 sort of game form when it comes to um, photographing animals or when the situation pops up. So it is important to do as much before you go away as you can because um, I think it was a golfer, somebody congratulated him on being very lucky because he was winning a lot of championships. And he actually said, well, I just find that the more the more I practice, the luckier I get. And, and I think that applies very well to photography. The more you can practice, the more you can get familiar with your gear, um, the more you can start to really experiment and start to get the kind of shots you've seen wherever you get your inspiration from, whether it's online somewhere or in a book or um, somewhere else. Uh, do practice as much as you can because when it comes to it, it is important to be able to come back with photographs that you like, but also you want to enjoy the experience of being there. Um, I, I live in France, I've lived in the UK, I've lived in Australia, um, but it's all been sort of cities and towns. My time in the bush is really limited. I mean, compared to the length of my life, and it's true for, for most of us uh, on the, the in listening uh, on the podcast, I'm sure that most of your life you're in a city or a town or somewhere that's very familiar but when you get to uh whether it's maybe somewhere in africa somewhere in india it doesn't really matter where but you're in a different environment you're in an environment where not only is the landscape and the wildlife different but the chances are the culture's different people are different and this is where the travel aspect comes in because i love that side of going away as well uh, because I've met the most amazing people. I mentioned Dean, um, but there have been a lot of other people that I've met, too many to name, so I'm not particularly picking out Dean, although he's definitely somebody that I, I learned a lot from and I tried to learn as much as I could from him when I was with him. But you'll you'll make friends, um, Rafano, who um, is in Tanzania at Arusha, uh, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Uh, Rafano was a guide when I climbed Kilimanjaro with a group from Sydney, primarily. I think we're all from Sydney, actually, or, or the, the kind of surrounds, mostly. And uh, we did this climb for UNICEF to raise money for um, children. Uh, it was UNICEF Australia. And frankly, the only reason I went on it was I was doing a lot of work, sat in an office, and I decided I really needed an adventure. I was just at that point where um, that was it. I just needed a change of pace and to go off and do something that absolutely inspired me and um climbing Kilimanjaro is one of the ma- most amazing things to experience it was tough um it, and I, I actually got into running road running as a part of my preparations and um that that was actually very good training because it the part of running road running if you start doing distance running 
So I would run 10Ks, 14Ks on the City to Surf in Sydney, um, run a couple of half marathons. So I'm not a big runner, uh, but uh, a lot of that is mental. It's how you pace yourself. And getting up Kilimanjaro also, particularly at the end, the last um, part of the climb, it's very tough. You're very tired. There's not that much oxygen, which is part of the problem. Um, and uh, it seems to go on for an awful long time. I was very, very cold, uh, but but I got there. So um, there's that aspect of the challenge too. But one of the best things to come out of it was, first of all, I made some friends that I'm still in contact with. And um, we, that climb happened in uh, 2018. 2018. Yeah, I think that's right. Oh, 2017. It's one of those. <laughs> um, it's all, it's, it'll be in the, uh, I, I did a, couple of podcasts about Kilimanjaro so part of it was preparation part of it was the climb um but the other thing was um I really connected got on very well with one of our guides Rafano and um when I was in Africa for um, a few months at the end of 2019 and then up to March 2020 so when Covid hit I had a a a sort of clear area I had about a, a week where I had nothing on particularly and that included Christmas Day and I had contacted Rufano. I went and stayed with him at his home in um, Arusha for a few days over Christmas. I think it was um, two or three days. Um, and it was just really nice. It was great to just meet his friends, um, the, the people in that area, and just see um, his house, which he designed and built himself. But you get these experiences. And so to me, although the idea of the podcast was to share experiences give tips and um, hopefully help you to have a better experience when you go uh, one of the reasons I do emphasize practice with the the camera is so that you're not really thinking so much about what you're doing on the camera you're looking at the animal you're getting your shots you know what you want you're having uh, that experience of creating art which is what we do as photographers we are artists after all uh, but you also can fully enjoy being where you are and it's a good probably the last thing to leave you with um on this particular podcast is when you are away when you're traveling do take time to put the camera down (laughs) every now and again and just be where you are and one of my friends um on the that, that i know through um well watching um jonas who used to um uh, also helped me organise. Uh, I did a couple of photography trips, for, for, uh, photographing humpback whales in Sydney. But he um, would be on the boats pretty much every day doing the photography. And um, one day I met him. He was on his day off. He brought his son along, and he hadn't got his camera. And I think he, from talking to him, he at least enjoyed that as much as when he was on the boat working. Because without having the camera there, he could just have that experience of being with the whales. And we were lucky. Uh, we had whales close to the boat. We had them breaching. We had a lot of activities. So he could just stand and enjoy that. And that is one of the um, things that you can, it's a trap, I suppose, you can fall into. You get so caught up with the photography, you forget where you are. It becomes um, work. And that to me, when it becomes work, you've overdone it, put the camera down, just enjoy and maybe spend the next 10 minutes or half an hour, whatever it is for you, and enjoy where you are. So um, I'm going to stop rabbiting. I, um, To be honest, I've been thinking about this podcast for several days because 100 is a big milestone and I wanted it to be something special. I don't know if it is in the end. 
Um, it was the best I could come up with. But I thought just sharing perhaps a little bit of, of what this was all about and why I started it uh, three years ago uh, was um, perhaps a different podcast to um, uh, the other things I've been doing. So I guess to just sign off, I hope you have been enjoying them. I hope you've enjoyed this one. Thank you again for supporting me and helping me get to uh, 100. Um, I think I'm at um, yeah, over 11,000 downloads anyway at this point. So that's, um, to me, a huge number. So I never imagined that I would get the kind of following that I have. And I'm, it, it seems to be growing, which is also good. So thank you for that. Do please share with anyone who you think might have an interest in any of this stuff. And um, please check out my website. That's the other thing, because I do have art for sale. I change that periodically. As I've already mentioned, I've got a couple of photography courses you can take. Uh, there is a membership if you want to support me. It might just be the cost of a cup of coffee every month. Uh, but all of the support I get, particularly financial support, allows me to carry on doing what I'm doing. And um, the, the, I guess the fundamental reason for doing all of this is to try and actively get involved in conservation of, um, you know, the amazing wildlife we have on on, um, on our planet. And unfortunately, it's it's occupying a smaller and smaller um, part of the animal kingdom, the largest part of the animal kingdom these days, are um, the animals that we eat. So, uh, and some of those um, statistics can be quite shocking. But uh, so that's what I'm trying to do: is keep those animals so that future generations can enjoy them as well, and also help to support the local communities. Because once local communities get behind looking after the animals, then things work an awful lot better. Um, yeah, so that that's it. I'm going to stop there. Uh, thanks for listening. And um, thanks again for your support. And I'll speak to you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the, um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now. 